0: Something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity and the one who created you, it will change your whole perspective. allowed to define you. Of your heart. Good morning y'all. It's a great day. It's wet a little bit still, but Lord knows we needed the rain. But it's funny we're getting ready to paint the uh the farmhouse, the exterior. For 90 days it hadn't rained. Right? And they finished uh, or we finished kind of scraping and sanding and caulking And the next day, it started raining. I think it's rained every day since. But we need it, so I can't be whining, I guess, about that. I want to give you two things before we get started this morning. Number one is this. We've got these little welcome kits. If this is your first time here, if it's your second time here, or third time, or whatever, if you you have never gotten one of these little welcome kits, particularly if it's your first time here, we want to get one in your hands. It kind of gives you who we are, our vision, our mission, um, a little DNA of the church. And we've got some folks somewhere around here. Raise your hand if you want one, need one. We'd like to get it in your hand. Number one. Number two is, um, again, and Melody mentioned it before she pieced out. She mentioned it. um, If this is your first or second time and you've never filled out a connection card, we'd love for you to do that. There's one in the welcome kit. There's also one in the uh, seat back in front of you. If you'd fill that out and just let us know you were here in addition to if you've got any prayer concerns or this is just a way to communicate with, uh, with our church. Um, I want to just remind you also that we've always, every Sunday, we've got a prayer team in the back after, in that back corner uh, when we are done. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to pray for you. They, uh, they, they, um, that's just something that we do along with to remind you that, that uh, during every worship experience that we have, there's people in that room praying for the worship team, praying for the message, praying for everybody that is sitting out there. We want to bathe everything we do as a church um, in prayer. And so just know that. And we're going to get to the, a little bit of that in the, in the message today as well. But I want to, I want to let you know, we're continuing on in, uh, in this walk through the book of Ephesians. We've been doing this for... I don't know, about 10 or 11 weeks probably. And the title of, two weeks ago, the title of the message was The, the, the Gospel Changes Everything, which of course it does. Last week, uh, the message was The Gospel Changes Marriage, which of course it does. If it changes everything, marriage is part of everything. Today, we're going to be in chapter 6. So this is the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. So we're getting down here to the end. And we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 4. And let, So let me read that to you. Children, this is verse 1 of of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So you know what else the gospel changes? The gospel changes relationships between parents and Uh, and kids, between parents um, and children. Psalm 127, verse 3 of Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That word heritage In uh, Psalm 127, it it can also be translated gift. So there's this idea of a gift inside of that. And so in other words, me and you, we need to look at our kids, at our children, as a gift from the Lord, not a possession. We don't own our children. They're the Lord's. He gives them to us. Uh, He entrusts them to us. And we've got to do everything that we can do as moms and dads to point our children back to Him, and there is a danger because they're a gift. So there's this danger <clears throat> in this in this want to that we have to protect our kids that we can uh, we can make them dependent on us for the rest of their lives, and we got to fight that temptation because there is a temptation and a danger that that would happen. And so we need to teach our kids uh, to learn uh, to be independent on some level to to learn some independence but the most important thing that we've got to do y'all with our kids is to teach them to lean on the Lord Ephesians 6 4 the fourth verse of this chapter is really where we're going to land today that's really what we're going to talk about and it says fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord before we dive into that verse Please understand that it is fair; it is fair to to view that word "fathers," the Greek word "fathers," there that is used in Ephesians six, to view it as parents as well. There's precedent in the New Testament where that word um, really can mean either fathers or parents. Hebrews eleven twenty-three, in most translations, translates that word "parents." So this verse may specifically uh, speak to men but the words completely address moms and dads. So what is it that, uh, that, the, that the Scripture is telling us moms and dads in verse 4? The first thing Paul tells us is what, uh, is what not to do. And then he tells us what to do. He says, don't provoke your kids to anger. Parents in ancient society, particularly fathers, had an and almost tyrannical, like dictatorial authority over their children. And there was this sternness and there was this, uh, so, oh, it was like a severity that can naturally flow out of the kind of authority that parents had over their children in that ancient society. And Paul is beginning to curb in, in this verse, verse four, he's beginning to curb that a little bit by saying, don't, parents, don't exacerbate exacerbate your kids. Don't, don't, don't be crazy harsh, and don't be crazy inconsiderate in your treatment of your kids. Don't create this ongoing pattern of nasty that gradually builds up into a deep-rooted, deep-seated anger in your kids on the part of a child, because it ultimately is going to boil over into hostility. And so if we think, how could How today, 2019, how could that happen? Like how could that happen in our relationship with our kids? I want to give you three quick ways that we could provoke that anger in our kids. Number one is this, by playing favorites. Favoring one daughter over another. Like saying, why can't you be like your older sister? Some of you, I bet, had parents who said things like that to you. Why can't you be smart like your big sister? You know, one of the things, and Susan and I messed up a lot in raising our kids. They're 26 and 23 now, but we messed up a lot, and I get that. One of the things that we really didn't do is we really didn't play favorites. We really really didn't. Both of our kids, when they were little, super sweet kids. We used to tease that they're sweet when they sleep. But they really, they were sweet kids. But I want to tell you, They went to Blanchard Elementary School, and I think Zach was in the fourth grade and Will was in about the first grade, and they are very different kids, wired up very differently. And so Susan would take them to school every day, to Blanchard on Weems Road, and she would always tell them. I don't know how they do it today in elementary school, but when they were there, they had these stoplight-looking things with the green light, yellow light, and red light. And you started the day off as a child. You started off on green, and if you got in trouble, uh, if you were talking or, I don't know, doing something wrong, you had a clip, and you'd have to move your clip from green to yellow. And if you got in a little more trouble, you'd have to move your clip from yellow to red. And Lord, if you got on red, you know, you're going to the principal or something. Do they still do that? Anybody that has kids? Okay. So Susan is taking them to school. Every day she would say to them, make sure your clip stays on green today every single day of their lives. And so she's taking them one day. And uh, Zach gets out of the car. He's in about fourth grade. And Zach is wired up as like Mr. Pleaser, Mr. Typical First Child, Mr. Obedient, right? At least I thought so. So he gets out of the car, and she says to Will, who's more of a free spirit kind of kid, she says to Will, make sure your clip stays on green so you can be the line leader. Y'all know what the line leader is, right? So you can be the line leader. And finally, I guess after months of her saying that to him, he said, Mama, You know, I don't want to be the line leader. Zach wants to be the line leader. I don't want to be the line leader. But my point is you recognize, y'all, that every child is a gift, a precious, unique, wired-up differently gift from the Lord. Each one is just special and unique. Don't favor one kid over the other, number one. Number two is this, we can provoke this in our children by neglecting them, by neglecting them. And I'm talking about not spending time with them because the most precious thing that you can give your children is you. The very most precious thing that you have to give to your children is you and it's your time mom and dad. You know, don't be too busy because you can't get it back. And I'm talking to you from, a, from the perspective of a guy who worked a 1,000 hours a week for years and years and years, and you cannot go back and capture that time, so don't neglect them. Number three is this, by never complimenting them. And you should have this fill-in-the-blanks in your uh, worship guide. If anybody doesn't have a worship guide, raise your hand, too, and we'll get you one of those. But we can, pro- we can provoke them to anger by never complimenting them. Kids need encouragement. Kids need encouragement and approval in the good stuff as much or more than they need correction when they act rotten. So that's the the don'ts at the beginning of verse 4. Don't, y'all, don't do it. Don't create an environment. Don't, uh, don't create an atmosphere in the home that in the long run is going to lead to hostility. But then he says at the end of verse 4, he says, you know, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. But then he says, but bring them up, bring them up, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Well, how is it that we do that? How do we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Number one, he says, bring them up. Bring them up. Another translation takes that word to mean nourish, uh, defines that word to be nourish. Nourish them up in the name of the Lord. In fact, that word, that same Greek word is in verse 29, is translated nourish. We went through that verse last week. Why is it that I need to... To bring them up. The reason that I need to bring them up, the reason I need to nourish them and to cherish them is because there's a natural tendency for them to go down. They have a bent towards sin. Just like I do. Just like every one of y'all do. Our sweet, precious, innocent little children have a bent towards sin. Proverbs 29 says this, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We see it all the time today. Children left to themselves. The web is raising our kids. Instagram is raising our kids. Netflix and Hulu are raising our kids. Movies are giving our kids their values. Music is giving them their belief system. Maybe peers have some influence. Maybe teachers have some influence. But music and movies and all this stuff and apps everywhere, it ain't right. Parents ought to be doing this. In fact, the folks in our kids' area in our church, in our kids' area or in our tots' area, they're not responsible for raising your kids in the, in the ways of the Lord. They're not. They're there to support for sure. They're there to, uh, to reinforce for sure. They're there to undergird you for sure. But in what you are already doing as a Christian mom or dad, they're not there to usurp or to, to fulfill your role or to take the place of a mom and dad because at the end of the day you and me are accountable to God. We are. We're responsible. He has entrusted them to us. He's given us this charge to raise our kids up in His name. Now at the end of the day, kids got to decide at some point for themselves of course they do. But you have a key role to play and I have a key role to play because even the very very Sweetest kid ever. It still has a bent towards sin. This, this is, a, any of y'all kids have a Power Wheels? Super cool little vehicle. So that's my oldest son, Zach, and Will. And this is, he, I don't, he was about five years old. And this, this, is, this happened. Now that's them riding together. But this story was Zach without Will in the, in the Jeep with him. They're riding around the cul-de-sac in our neighborhood. And the kid across the street from us, Jake is his name, he and Zach were riding. Jake was a little older than Zach. He may have been five and a half or six, and Zach was five. They're riding around the cul-de-sac. There's another kid named Eddie who lived at the end of the cul-de-sac, and Eddie was about two years old, maybe a year and a half or two. And he was out in the cul-de-sac in only a diaper, and literally only a diaper. And, And it's crazy because he would, like, be out there randomly somehow, just standing in the cul-de-sac in his diaper. And so he's standing there still, and Jake and Zach are in the... And this is our obedient son, man. This is just pleaser kid, right? He and Jake are riding in the power wheels, and they pull up. Eddie's standing there, and they pull up like that, and they stop. And Eddie's standing there, and Jake and Zach look at each other and say, Let's run him over. <laughs> so Zach's driving. So he hits the gas and runs the kid over. And, and it freaked them both out. And so what did they do? They ain't like not know what to do. They both get out. Jake runs home and Zach runs home. <laughs> well, Zach is Mr. Chatty Catty all the time. And he walk- I was at work and he, he walks in the house and he walks right by Susan and goes in his bedroom, which is very, very unlike him. And so she thought, hmm, something's going on. So she goes back in his bedroom and she, as soon as she opened the door, he's, I ran him over! And she's, th- and we hadn't been in the neighborhood long, right? We're trying to make good impression on the neighbors. And she looks out the windows like Miss Kravitz. Any of y'all know who Miss Kravitz is? She looks out the blinds and here's what she sees. I wish I had a picture. The power wheels with two feet sticking out from under the side of it, like the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, in the Wizard of Oz. The Jeep is still on top of this kid. Now he wasn't hurt. But his feet are sticking out. She sees it. Zach is wailing away, crying. She calls me on the phone at work and said, "Your son." And I'm like, "Okay, you gotta get." She told me, "You gotta get. I want you to come home. I want you to spank his little tail and take him down there to to tell the mama and the kid that you're sorry." But she had to go outside and lift the jeep off of the kid. David wrote, "In sin did my mother conceive me." Y'all, the sweetest kids have that little thing in them. It is not a learned behavior. It is inbred. Kids get it from the parents who got it from their parents who got it from their parents. Kids and adults aren't sinners because they sin. They sin because we're sinners. Does that make sense? It's not... We think it's one way, but it's really the other way. I didn't have to sit down one day with Zach and Will and say, let me teach y'all how to sin. First, I'm going to need for you to be selfish. And then next... Let me show you how to be greedy. And then third, no, that's just, that's not how it works. They already know it's inside of them. Every one of you that has a child has seen that. And it, it crushed my wife when that happened because she learned in that moment that our kids were sinners. It crushed her. And I just had, we had to have this conversation like, it's all of us, we're infected with it. So the text tells us, Paul tells us, to bring them up and nourish them in the ways of the Lord. Teach them how to be generous, of course. Teach them how to be kind, of course. Teach them how to work hard, of course. But first and foremost, point them towards the gospel. Point them towards Christ. I want you to hear this. Y'all, there is a fight every day. In every family, in every home, in every country on the planet, there is a fight for your children's heart, and the devil don't fight fair. And it has happened every day of their life. There's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. If you have kids, I would encourage you to read it. Trip, uh, Ted Trip is the guy's name that wrote the book, and he says something. This book is so so true. He says a child's heart is the world's smallest battlefield. And the conquering of it calls for all-out hand-to-hand conflict. And he's right. Your kid's heart is a battlefield where sin and righteousness are at war on a daily basis. That's why our training and our influence and our discipline and our encouragement can't be passive. It's got to be aggressive. So number one, we need to bring them up. We need to nourish them. We need to cherish them. And then number two, we need to train them. The ESV, the English Standard Version, says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other translations may say uh, uh, training and discipline, or excuse me, training and instruction. I think discipline probably conveys a truer meaning of that word. It's like train them by disciplining them, and by punishing them when it is necessary to punish them. And it is hard, man. You know, don't, don't, I mean, I get it. I get that it is hard. There's nobody in their right mind that enjoys disciplining and punishing their children. Nobody does. Nobody likes doing that. But children need it, and it's on us to do it. They need the discipline. They don't need meanness, and they don't need rage And they don't need, you know, uh, nasty anger and us flying all off the handle. They don't need that. They absolutely don't. We need to keep our cool. But what they need is loving, leading discipline. I want to give you four biblical, scriptural kind of reasons why they need that discipline. Number one is this, to remove foolishness. Proverbs 22 says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So they need it to remove foolishness. They need it to rescue them from judgment. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they're not going to die. Punish them with the rod, quite the opposite, the text says. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Number three, discipline them to receive wisdom. Proverbs 29, i read you part of, of, of verse 15 a minute ago, but it, the whole verse says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And last, in Hebrews chapter 12, discipline them so that they can reflect God's character. Maybe this is the most important reason. And so the text, starting in verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 12, says this, For they, and he's talking about earthly fathers... For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, the Lord, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields, listen to this, later it yields, what's the it? The it is the discipline. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is if you discipline The fruit down at the end is the fruit of righteousness. So it's not discipline causes despair. It's not discipline causes lifelong pain. Discipline results in the fruit of righteousness. So y'all, the cure for crime is not in the electric chair. It's in the high chair. Does that make sense? It is not in the electric chair. It is in the high chair. It's what we do with our kids from the time they're this big all the way up. They never stop being your kids. I mean, mine are 26 and 23. They're still my kids. So I'm telling you, moms and dads, love your child by bringing them up and disciplining them. Third is this, instruct them. We instruct them, teach them. We give them clear instructions, clear verbal instructions. We're consistent and we're persistent. We discipline them that way, but it's all, it's all undergirded by loving tenderness. And that's not the easiest thing in the world to do because we're sinners too, right? So we would have a tendency, many of us, to fly all off the handle. I have flown off the handle many times, and, and I've, most all of the time I've, I've even gone back into my kids and apologized not for the discipline but for the flying off the handle. So we, we are consistent and we uh, are persistent and we discipline them and we give them clear instructions undergirded by loving tenderness. That is the right way, the biblical way to raise up a kid. Now I want you to look at what a bunch of kids who were in a correctional facility, <coughs> excuse me, these were kids that were already busted, they were already in trouble, and they were already doing time. And they were asked why they thought they chose Uh, the path that they chose and what some of the problems were in their lives that led up to those choices. And they were asked to give advice to to parents of how to keep those parents' kids on the straight and narrow path. And I want to give you ten principles that they came up with. These are kids that are in a correctional facility doing time, right? Number one, they said keep cool. This is the kids telling parents what to do or how to How to do it. Keep cool, they said. Don't fly off the handle. Kids need to see how much better things turn out when people keep their tempers under control. They said don't get strung out on booze and drugs. When we see our parents reaching for those crutches, we get the idea that it's okay to do that when things get heavy. They said bug us a little bit. Be strict. Show us who the boss is. We need to know that we have strong support underneath us. They said to the parents, when you cave in, we get scared. They said, don't blow your class. Stay on the pedestal. They said, don't dress or dance or talk like your kids. You embarrass us and you look stupid, they said. They said, light a candle. Show us the way. God's, and this is these kids now, they said, God's not dead or sleeping or on vacation and we need to believe in something bigger and stronger than ourselves. Number six, they said, scare us. If you catch us lying, if you catch us stealing or being cruel, get tough. Let us know what we did was wrong and why it is wrong. They said we need punishment. When we need it, dish it out. Let us know. This is huge. They said we need punishment, but let us know that you still love us and care about us. They didn't say show us you love us, but don't punish us. They said we need the punishment. They said, number eight, they said call our bluff. Make it clear that you mean what you say. Don't compromise and don't be, uh, don't be intimidated by our, by our threats to drop out of school or to run away from home. Stand up to us and we'll respect you. Number nine, they said, be honest. Tell us the truth no matter what. Be straight about everything. We can take you being straight. Lukewarm makes us uneasy. They said we can smell uncertainty a mile away. And the last thing they said is praise us when we deserve it. Give us a pat on the back when we deserve it once in a while and we'll be able to accept the criticism a lot easier. Y'all reckon what all of these kids just said. They all said that they wanted their parents to raise them the way the Bible says to raise them. They didn't even know that's what they were saying. They really didn't. But that's exactly what they were saying. They're saying to please do what God says to do and be hands-on, involved parents. Both parents work. Both parents don't work. I don't care. Now, yes, in, in, in one sense, it's tougher if both parents work because the parenting is tougher because you, you've been at work all day long. And so somebody else has been with your kids. But in another sense, it's tougher um, when, when if, the, if the mama doesn't work outside of the home and is primarily responsible for taking care of the kids, it's tougher in that sense because for most people, I don't know percentage, most people, financial sacrifices will have to be made, right? Something's got to give either way. There are sacrifices that have to give, uh, be made either way. And I would say this, either way, you better figure it out your kids are on the line. So you better figure it out. You better figure out how to spend, somehow, quantities of time with your kids, and that time better be of high quality. Figure it out. Be intentional. You have to be very intentional. Moses gave us some super advice in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what he said, starting in verse 6. He said, And these words that I command you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And what is, what, what is Moses telling the folks to teach the kids? Back up to verses 4 and 5. He's telling them this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So that verse 4 is the mantra of, um, of monotheism. It's the mantra of, and, and when you see the Lord written in all capitals, the Hebrew word behind that is Yahweh. That's God's personal name. And so he's saying, Moses is saying, tell your kids he's the one. He is the one. Yahweh is the one. And then he says, you shall love him, Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Teach your kids about the Lord. Teach your kids about the ways of the Lord. Teach your kids how to love the Lord with everything that they've got. And Moses said, first thing though, verse 6, these things have to be on your heart first before you can impact your kids for Christ. You got to know him. Me and you got to know him first. We've got to have a relationship with Him first. I cannot lead my child any further than I myself have come. That's a huge principle. So am I walking? You've got to ask yourself, am I walking with the Lord? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, he said, what use, talking to the church at Philippi, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. First, my kids have got to see it. they got to hear it. they got to, uh, in me, first and foremost, we've got to be ourselves what we want our kids to be. It is impossible, y'all, it is impossible to train up a child in the way of the Lord in a way that the parents themselves are not going. It can't be done. I was out in the woods with my kids one day. They were little. We had a hunting lease in Talbot County. And we got out there, and it was I forgot to put little clips along the way as we're walking into the woods, little fluorescent clips to tell us how to get back out, right? We went in, it was dark. We got in a tree stand. Light, light comes up. It's time to go. <clears throat> there probably wasn't a deer for 100 miles from where we were sitting, but it was time to go. Sun came up, we got down. Truth is, we got a little turned around, right? which is not hard to do if you've ever been walking through the woods. We got a little turned around, and I can't remember how old they were. I'm going to guess 7 or 8 and maybe 10 or 11. And so I'm trying to lead us out, and frankly, I'm getting a little anxious. I didn't want my kids to see the the anxiety, and I wasn't crazy anxious, but I was getting a little anxiety on me. So we came to this little fork, and it wasn't really a fork because there wasn't a path per se. It was just a place where we either needed to go left or we needed to go right. And you know what I heard Zach and Will say? They said this, choose the right way, daddy. We're coming right behind you. Think about that. And it was, they probably don't even remember this because in the moment I didn't, it just was not a significant thing until last week as I'm working on this message and I remembered what they said when we were in the woods. How true is that? How true is that statement? Your little ones are saying the very same thing to you as you chart your course of life. They're saying, choose the right path, mama. Make the right choice, dad. I'm coming up right behind you. They're watching you. They're listening to you. They're seeing every single thing. that. And my kids called me out. I don't know about how your kids are, but my kids would call me out on it in a second. I raised my voice one time to Susan. We were in a discussion in our great room, and I, ra- I know I did. I mean, it just happened. I raised my voice, and Will was about 13, and he came marching down the hall into the great room, and you know what he said? Don't you ever talk to her like that. My 13-year-old, I'm like, I'm a grown man, but he was right. They're watching everything, and I went back there and had a crying, apologetic conversation with him because he was right and I was wrong. So they're watching and they're listening. Everything that we do, they're watching and they're listening to what's going on. So choose the right path and follow the advice of Moses. Talk of the, and what he's saying in verse 7, when he says, you shall talk about them when, you're, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and you rise up, he's saying, talk about the Lord all the time. That is what that verse is saying. Let it be a major component of all. Let it, let it be woven through every conversation. He says, teach them diligently. And that word diligently is the Hebrew word shanan. And shanan means um, it conveys this idea of an object, something piercing through an object, something that is like stabbing through something else. And so our goal as a parent is to penetrate or to to pierce deeply into the life, into the heart of our children the truth claims that the Scripture makes, to pierce into the lives of our children the truths of the Lord. That's what that word to teach diligently means. I want to begin to close us out with Proverbs 22, and it's a proverb that's quoted all the time, Proverbs 22, 6. It's train up a child. Everybody's heard it. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not... Depart from it. Parents who have prodigal sons or daughters quote this verse all the time. We raised him or her up right. He'll be back. She'll be back. Nothing wrong with that for sure. I believe that it applies in principle. But at the same time, we have got to really get our arms around, really understand what it means to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And let me say to you parents, And if you may have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, and it may be that you could have done a better job raising them up. I can tell you right now, I could have done a way, way better job raising up mine. But for the first half of their lives, y'all, I was not walking with the Lord. And if you try to act like that doesn't affect the way you rear your children, you've lost your mind because it does. It does. But it may be that you've done an incredible job Raising up your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't beat yourself up. This message is not, in Paul in, in uh, Ephesians, he's not, it's not about beating you up as a parent at all. If you think you're a failure as a parent, it's not God telling you that. If you think yourself of yourself as a failure as a parent because you have a prodigal uh, son or daughter, then you'd have to say that God the Father is a failure too because he's got a few prodigals out there, Right? My point is this, it is not necessarily an indictment on you as a parent and the way that you have raised a child. It is the absolute, absolute fact that your kid is exercising something that we call free will. All of us have a chooser inside of us and we make choices and often those choices are crazy unwise. But here's what I'm going to tell you to do, whether you have a prodigal child a son or daughter, or, or just the fact that we have children, is pray for them. Pray for them all the time. That's one of the things that I personally failed at often. My wife didn't fail at that. She's on her knees praying for him every day. Pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. Pray for them and never stop loving them. Convey to your children that there's nothing that they could ever do That would affect your love for them. More or less. Nothing. That's a perfect image of the Father's love for you. There's nothing that he, that song they were singing. You know, he's good, 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 good. That whole song. King of my heart. That message is our God is faithful. He's a faithful, he's a good, faithful God. There is nothing that you or I could do that would affect his love for us. He couldn't love us any more. He couldn't love us any less because of anything that we do. That is what we need to convey to our kids. Do they make, can they make you mad? Yeah, I've wanted to choke mine out many times, right? But none of that affected my love for them. Those two things are mutually exclusive. They, they're, they're, they're apart from each other, right? Let's circle back quickly to, to what it means to train up a child in the way of the Lord. Literally, that word speaks of a midwife who after delivering a child would dip her finger in crushed dates and put the finger in the mouth of the baby to help the baby develop a thirst for milk. And the idea is of internally motivating rather than externally compelling. Now there may be a time every now and again that a little external compulsion has to happen. But that's not where we go. That's not the default. The default is internal. It's internal motivation. It's heart change. It's leading your child into a relationship with the Lord that that then can change their heart. We could paraphrase it like this. It is to create a thirst. This is like the big goal of parenting, to create a thirst in your child for the things of God, to create a thirst in them, And here are the words a child we're talking about a newborn later on it speaks of a young boy later on it's used of ishmael as an adolescent later on it's used of joseph when he was 17 later on it's used of a young man who's getting ready for marriage so the phrase runs the gamut from infancy to adulthood right and i said this a minute ago that your kids ain't never going to stop being your kids so look how how this gets put together in the scripture The Bible is saying to create a thirst in, to build into your child from infancy to adulthood submission in the ways of the Lord. Nourish that all the time. Train them in the way that they should go. Not the way they want to go sometimes, but the way that they should go. And that is in the ways of the Lord. And they will resist you from time to time. Trust me, they will resist you from time to time. But you've got to be persistent and you've got to be consistent in the training and in the discipline and the instruction. It is a leadership issue. Lead your children. Lead them. Well, what's the best way to lead is to have them see, and Paul uses the word mimic throughout his epistles. Your kids are going to mimic you. They're going to do it either way, right? I would rather them mimic me in the leading them uh, in the ways of the Lord. And so remember, I cannot take my kids, and you cannot take your kids any further than you yourself have come. And in many homes, the problem is that mom and dad aren't walking with the Lord. I'll just take them to church. I'll just drop them off at church. No, dad. No, mom. You need to be with them. You need to be leading them. And it's not just church. It's definitely not just church. At home, dads, you need to be the spiritual leader in the home. They need to see you praying. They even need to see you praying out loud. They even need to see you and mama praying together. It was one of the most powerful scenes in that movie Overcomer when the, um, when the kids were watching the mom and daddy kneeling down praying together. Powerful for your kids to see that happening. Powerful. Read the scriptures together. Look for opportunities day and night. Day and night, Deuteronomy says, to instruct your kids in God's ways. Lead them. And you say, well, Ed, it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Trust me, I know. But God is not going to ask me and you to do something that's not doable. He's not. And for some of us in here today, right now, as we sit, you're not walking with Him. You're not. But you can. And you may be a believer, but you strayed somehow. So I'm saying today, as we sit here, whether it's recommitting your life, whether it's recommitting your life, to walk in His light, to walk in His path, or whether it's saying yes to the offer of of eternal salvation today. One of those two things. You may not have a relationship with Him. You may not know Jesus Christ today. And oh, you may know who He is. Everybody in this room knows who He is. But you just may not know Him the way Peter uses the word know. He may not be living inside of you. You may never bowed the knee and said, I want to be saved. I want to know him in a personal way, but you can. He died on that cross 2,000 years ago, shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven, so you could come into a relationship with him, so you could be a different person on the inside. And you can know that when you die, you will be in heaven for eternity. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better son. You'll be a better daughter. So here's the deal. If you're in here today and that's the case, it ain't a hard, big, complicated formula. It is repent. I'm going to look at sin from God's perspective rather than my selfish perspective. And I'm going to believe that He did die on that cross, that that really did take care of my, the the penalty of my sin, and He'll save you. If y'all would, close your eyes, bow your heads with me. And if that is you today, I, I want you to, you can come down front you can not come down front you can kneel you can not kneel you can just bow your head and pray quietly to yourself Lord I do I do desperately want to know you and Lord I do repent of my sin and I do Lord believe that you died on that cross to save me and Lord I ask you to save me right now in Jesus name amen and look here's the reality if that happened sorry man if that happened and you were being honest, then he saved you right now. You walked in lost, you're leaving found. And that's an incredibly incredible thing. Our prayer team will be back there if you want to talk to somebody. I'll be down here when we're done. If you want to talk to me, I ain't nothing special. But if you want to go talk to the prayer team, that's fine. But let us know on that connection card that that happened. Because we as a, as, a, as a church want to pray uh, for you, you and your family. Part of that is just, if, and I would say this, if you are a believer, if you walked in here and you've been a Christian for 20 years, but you've strayed or something, and you are going to recommit today to walk with him, let us know that too. Write that down on a connection card somewhere and stick it in the offering bucket or, or give it to the, the folks at the connections desk because we want to pray about that as well. Part of that, um, I want to invite our host teams up. Part of this trusting of the Lord, he wants all of us, right? He wants all of us. He wants every bit of you. He wants your parenting. He wants your work life. He wants every part of your life. Part of that is, is your, your bank accounts. Part of that is your financial world. Part of that is the resources that you have. And so it is the absolute hardest place to trust the Lord with is with your financial resources. It just is for everybody it is but he's the God of that too and so this is we come to this time in our worship service where we take up a tithe take up an offering and I want to pray I want to pray over that um, and I'm going to turn it back over to the worship team